0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk
1: Show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North.
2: Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show here on True North. I'm so sorry. We were almost starting a few minutes late. You see, I was a bit delayed. Uh, You wouldn't believe it. A bunch of these uh, police and dogs just got on my plane on the way here, and they accused me of all sorts of horrific things. They uh, suggested I might have had cocaine on board, but uh, no, nothing like that happened. In fact, I've never heard of anything like that happening anywhere in the news as of late I am kidding of course the uh, people in the live, I wasn't even going to mention this story but people in the live chat apparently are demanding like Trudeau detained in India because of cocaine stories and I am a firm believer in giving the people what they want let me just say there is zero evidence so far to support this claim that was made by on on Indian TV by some former Indian diplomat that Justin Trudeau's plane didn't have mechanical failures it was that uh, police from India boarded and found uh, cocaine or something like that I, orig- I saw this thing like swirling around on Twitter a few days ago and didn't really pay much heed to it. I I looked into it and couldn't find anything to substantiate it. And then the Toronto Sun picked it up, not saying authoritatively that it happened, but just saying that India had accused it of of happening or some people in India. And I I have heard from one reporter that was on the trip who I I know and trust that no one boarded the plane at all. And, And, you know, journalists were on the plane. So I feel like it would probably have gotten out, even with how sycophantish some of them are, if, if, like, drug-sniffing dogs had gotten aboard and and whatnot. But it's a fun story. Alas, it appears to be, at this point, fiction. So don't get too, too excited. Justin, you don't, Here's the thing about Justin Trudeau. He wins when the fake news stories circulate because he gives enough real news stories to justify criticizing him. You don't need the fake news stories. But when there are these faker stories that go around, it allows them to kind of hide behind it and say, oh, well, uh, it's all just fake news and misinformation and all that. And that is not what we try to do on this show. In fact, we try to do the opposite. And I'll say, I I never like doing this too much, but... I've been working on a story about Christian Freeland that I'm going to have coming out afterwards. I'm just waiting to, you know, get a couple of my ducks in a row. And at a certain point, like this government has done enough that we don't need to manufacture stuff. So uh, that is my little PSA here. Sorry to be a buzzkill. I know you probably were so excited I was going in one particular direction at the beginning. But I am going to be talking a little bit more on this program about the recognition of that Nazi veteran, Yaroslav Hunka, in the House of Commons on Friday, a chapter that has, as we say in the media business, legs. This is a story that keeps on going, it keeps on delivering, and it's one that the government has not been able to just shake. They have tried to shake it. They've tried to basically claim that this was all just Anthony Rhoda's doing, the Speaker of the House, and now as of yesterday, he is outgoing. His uh, role is going to be filled by someone else on tomorrow's or in tomorrow's sitting in the house of commons but i'll play a little bit from his resignation announcement for you
3: is above any of us therefore i must step down as your speaker i reiterate my profound regret for my error in recognizing an individual in the house during the joint address to parliament of president Zelensky. That public recognition has caused pain to individuals and communities, including the Jewish community in Canada and around the world, in addition to survivors of Nazi atrocities in Poland, among other nations. I accept full responsibility for my actions. My resignation is effective at the end of the sitting day tomorrow, Wednesday, September 27th, to allow preparations for the election of a new speaker. Until that time, The deputy speakers will chair the House proceedings. Thank you, merci we saw
2: the deputy speaker who's actually a conservative chris Dontremont take over yesterday during question period which is usually presided over not by one of the deputy speakers but by the speaker of the house himself so he is outgoing and look he clearly made a grievous error in judgment and as he was reading i don't we don't have the clip today and i don't need to play it again but as he was reading that recognition of Yaroslav hunka it looked at a certain point like he was kind of just taking that moment of, okay, he fought against the Russians, maybe there's something there. But then he kept going. He called him a Ukrainian hero and a Canadian hero, and he paused for members of that chamber to stand up and give Mr. Hunka that standing ovation, which is very undeserved. And uh, vir- virtually every MP, if not every MP who was part of it, has said so in the days since. This happened five days ago. Originally, it was from a couple of these corners of the internet that are often disregarded that we're talking about this. Uh, of course, uh, because Jewish people were in the throes of uh, Shabbat at first and then preparations for Yom Kippur, they probably didn't twig to it as early as they would have. And what was interesting is that all of this effectively came down to uh, people in independent media that noticed this and eventually sought for some accounting on this. And the government has ever since tried to devote 100% of the blame on Anthony Rota. They've tried to make him a black box of shame here so that nothing penetrates into their side of the aisle. The Conservatives, as I mentioned yesterday, have been the ones trying to throw Anthony Rhoda a bone. This is ethics critic for the Conservatives, Michael Barrett, doing just that in the House of Commons this week. Time and time again, this Prime Minister and his Liberal House leaders say, I had no idea it didn't involve me. Time and time again, this Liberal Prime Minister fails in his duties to Canadians and has someone else take the fall. This week, it looks like he's going to come to you, Speaker, and ask you to leave and to take the garbage out with you on the way out. Is that really what this government wants to show to Canadians? Honourable
3: Government House Leader.
0: Mr. Speaker, again, that
2: Honourable colleague would have seen your statement yesterday, heard your apology in the House today, where the Speaker confirmed that this was his decision and his decision alone to invite this individual from his riding, to
3: acknowledge him in the gallery, we were all caught off guard by this, we all stood and applauded because we were led to believe
0: that
2: this was an individual who he was not and that is something that hurts
4: all of us and embarrasses all of us but there was no prior knowledge from the government.
2: We were caught off guard. How could we have known? Now, Karina Gould, as we learned, was one of the few MPs to actually have a photograph taken up close and personal with Yaroslav Hunka. She was uh, standing. R- oh, my, I didn't even tell Sean I was using that. He just like plucked that out in like one second's notice. Good job, Sean. Uh, there she is with her hand clasping Mr. Hunka's hand, smiling with Anthony Rhoda, smiling with, I believe, Yaroslav's son, who we're told initiated this exchange with Anthony Rota that got that man invited in the first place. So Karina Gould has actually had more interaction with this guy than anyone else in the House of Commons so far as we know. So for her to say, I mean, what were they talking about? Like, seriously, did she just walk by in the hall, pose for the photo, and leave without speaking to him? Did she stop and ask him about his service? Did she say, oh, wow, you know, he, sir, when, how, how did he fight against the Russians? When, when did he fight against the Russians? Anything prior to 1945 should have made even the biggest failure in the high school history class realize, well, Hank, okay. But but the Russians in, in World War II, they were on like, and I'm not saying Karina Gould was a failure in history. She is a very smart and intelligent woman, which is why it's all the more shameful that she, like others, is saying, well, how could we have known? And she has decided to blame. People have pointed to uh, conservatives and uh, said, well, you know, they were up there cheering too. Absolutely. Because at that point, uh, you know, I don't blame individual members of parliament, individual MPs for uh, clapping when they're being introduced to this guy. Uh, He didn't say during World War II in his remarks that I can recall. Uh, So I can understand them just saying, oh, well, he's up there. He's a veteran. We're being told he's a Ukrainian veteran who fought off the Russians. Okay, great. He must be a good guy. And it's in that moment where I don't necessarily blame people for clapping, but it's beyond that. Anyone who was speaking at any point with this guy or with his family or with Anthony Roda that should have been part of a pregnant pause on what this guy was. I was for this story I have coming out at two o'clock Eastern today. I was speaking with a Ukrainian professor who's a very pro-Ukraine guy. And he said, this is shameful. He said, Ukrainians, no Ukrainian in their right mind, he told me would support honoring someone in this he said yes there's a complicated history and yes ukrainians have had to undergo a historical reckoning to that effect but it's because of that that no one would celebrate someone in this way in the right mind now i should say i had one person tell me that they were suspecting it was so so clear and so obvious and so brazen that this must have been a setup now i don't know who they're blaming for the setup was it pierre polyev there's been some uh, of the true anons on twitter making that claim was it uh russia that uh you know got this guy to call up anthony rhoda and got anthony rhoda to issue the invitation who knows maybe there was some four-dimensional chess or maybe it was just this shameful and regrettable uh, aberration in canada but the thing is when we were talking about India, which was the big story for you know all of five minutes, we said, or I said on this show, that Justin Trudeau has surrendered the benefit of the doubt. And I keep coming back to this because it's so important. His record on governing in Canada, his record on foreign policy is such that no one can look at him and say, well, I'm sure he meant well anymore because there has been blunder after blunder after blunder. And why that's so important here is because when something comes up of this nature on this scale, no Canadian is buying into the idea that the most micromanaging, centralized, powerful PMO was not involved in many stages of the vetting process of who was up in the House of Commons in the coveted speakers gallery. That's what's happening here. No one believes what Trudeau is saying. Now, I'm not saying Justin Trudeau personally had knowledge of or orchestrated this guy's invitation or recognition, but I do think it's very implausible that no one outside of Anthony Rhoda and a couple of the staffers that he may have in his office was aware of this, given the nature of it. And if not, the most charitable interpretation, the most charitable response to all of this is just how profoundly dumb people in that office are. Like, that's how bad things are with this government, that they have to be like, okay, okay, the issue is not that we're evil. The issue is that we're morons. And that's, sadly where we are here Uh, peter coleman is the head of the national citizens coalition a group that has a long history in this country of political advocacy Uh, he said in a missive that went out today that there is really at its core here another example of the virtue signaling we've come to know and expect from this government peter joins me now it's good to talk to you again sir thanks for coming on
0: thanks for having me on andrew
2: Let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, virtue signaling has been, I'd say, the most consistent thing resembling ideology that this government has been bound by. And, and you're saying this is really the consequence of that on full display here yet again.
0: Everything they seem to do is virtual signaling. The government's incapable of apologizing to make mistakes, as you said. Um, the PMO's office had to know what was going on with this. I mean, that's a, as you said, it's a very tightly controlled group. So he doesn't get the benefit of doubt. your comment, so true, Andrew. I mean, there's been scandal after scandal after scandal. The country's becoming an international embarrassment, and Trudeau just doesn't get it, and, and he doesn't care. And I don't think he, Andrew is incapable of apologizing. I don't think it's in his blood.
2: Yeah, and I I was wondering if you could extrapolate on that or elaborate on that rather a little bit more because that's, I'd say, been one of the very recurring themes in this government is the the level of shamelessness when they have been caught in one of the myriad scandals going back to, you know, vacationing with the Aga Khan, which seems just quaint by today's standards of scandal and even SNC-Lavalin and getting caught in blackface. Like somehow it becomes a learning opportunity and a growth opportunity for everyone but Trudeau.
0: But that's just it. I mean, the, the, the quality of people like Philippot and Raybolt and uh, Morneau and all the people that have to leave that party because of mistakes that Trudeau make, he's incapable of taking um, blame. He's just shameless. I mean, the thing that strikes me with Trudeau is he's too cute by half. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room. And I would say a lot of times he's far from that uh, to be charitable. And every scandal that's going on, it's always been it's a learning issue for Canadians, like the same thing with voter having to retire Speaker of the House. It has nothing to do with Canadians other than we're being embarrassed and shamed. It's all to do with Trudeau making a mistake of a massive scale. As you said, it's on the, on the heels of the debacle in India. Everything he does is through such a narrow prism of things that he thinks are important to the country and the country deserves better. This isn't, this isn't the way a country should be run. He should care what Canadians feel as far as our values and he could care less.
2: Well, at one point, and I'm going far afield here, so feel free to rein me back in if you need to, Peter, but this is a government that has often not focused too much effort on the idea of promoting any sort of nationalism or nationality for Canadians, the idea of citizenship, which used to be a very core concept in Canada, certainly under conservative governments, is no longer regarded as such by this government. And it's odd how that sort of creeps up in weird ways. So this you know, Nazi veteran was being introduced as a Canadian hero. Well, we have statues being torn down of uh, what I would call bona fide uh, Canadian heroes all across this country.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. You, you, you look through the prism of all these things and you wonder what's going on in Trudeau's head. I mean, the, the party can't like what's going on because it goes from scandal to scandal to scandal. And, but the country deserves better. We deserve common sense. We deserve free speech. We deserve free enterprise to thrive. We deserve the solid resources of the world. And all Trudeau cares about in his narrow prism is gender equality and climate change. And those two issues, while they're important, are not the top issues for most Canadians who are trying to get by. And they're getting screwed by carbon taxes and things that uh, make no sense and are driving up food prices. But he's incapable, Andrew, of doing anything about it because he believes in his views. Nobody in the party is strong enough to stand up to the guy and say, look, you're on the wrong track. They're all afraid of getting reelected. And that's a symbol of politician that the days are past. I mean, eight to ten years in politics, people are tired of seeing your face. They're tired of Trudeau, clearly. Well,
2: I- you you say that about, you know, gender equality and climate change, and it's actually disgraceful how correct you are. Like if Hitler had committed to gender parity in the SS leadership, Justin Trudeau would say, well, you know, you got to hand it to him. And, uh, you know, it's actually not that big of a joke if you think about it, given how the government talks about China, which is, you know, one of the big villains in the global geopolitics today. But uh, they say, oh, well, you know, they're partners in climate at least.
0: Yeah, but they're not. China's not doing it. But if we want to solve, like we're 1.5% of the world's greenhouse gases, if we want to solve that problem, we'd ship natural gas to China. We're never going to go to zero. And Mm -hmm. it's a mug's game to think we're going to do that. And until China and India get on board, we, we, we can't get there. And if we want our country to thrive, oil and gas has to thrive too, because it creates a lot of high paying jobs, pays a lot of taxes. And this 2030 nonsense, as far as being net zero is absolute nonsense. Anybody with a brain knows that's not possible. Yes, we should do our piece to try and reduce our emissions, and we are probably the cleanest developer of natural resources in the world. Why don't we start doing what's right as far as climate change instead of gerrymandering just nonsensical agreements and deadlines that just don't make any sense and will not work?
2: One of your predecessors at the National Citizens Coalition is a, a man that some people may know by the name of Stephen Harper, who uh, did uh, you know a great deal of, of work in, in the NCC role and then eventually in government in Canada. And... You know, there were obviously negative news stories about Stephen Harper. No government is immune from scandal. No governments were ever able to get through without some criticism. I mean, Stephen Harper had the Mike Duffy scandal as being a notable one, uh, which I I thought was blown way out of proportion. But that's a a story for another day. The thing about it, though, is that there seems to be a a relentlessness in the Trudeau government and who's been in power now for uh, two years fewer than Stephen Harper was. And the number of big scandals that have rocked this government ha- has vastly expanded that of Stephen Harper's time. But of course, with the media's approach to that, there's a bit of a double standard.
0: Well, it's true. I mean, I, I, I was talking with Stephen Harper th- in the summer, and I said, uh, where do you think we are on the international stage? He said, "He said the worst thing is our, our, our allies don't respect us anymore. And there's problems with that too. And the only good thing is there's groups like True North that actually do hold the feet of the fire of politicians because the, the mainstream media has been bought and paid for by Trudeau for so long, they seem unable to deal with the real issues and know the real problems are. But fortunately the crack seems to be showing a bit, Andrew, where even the mainstream media can't cover for this guy anymore. And I hope that that continues, but you look at Harper's record and compare it to Trudeau's, people could dislike Harper for all kinds of reasons, I guess. I'm not, I was never one of them, but his record is clear. Responsible, accountable. He took care of the Canadian people. He cared about them. Trudeau doesn't give a damn about Canada. I, I want I, these days. I think he hates the country the way he treats us.
2: Let's go back to basics here. You're a grassroots organization, the National Citizens Coalition. Here, do you think stories like this actually? make a difference on the ground because there is a a bubble mentality in a lot of news where you get a story that to people that you know like you and i that are freaks who just you know spend our lives immersed in (laughs) politics uh they 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 matter to us but you know they're not a thing that's discussed around the kitchen table i i know this story is being discussed around the uh, tables of a lot of jewish families in canada so i can say first and foremost that it's it's got legs there but do you think this is the type of thing that actually matters to real canadians beyond the the jewish community yeah, I think it does,
0: because people are offended by like the, the, one of their most holiest of holidays. This thing pops up, and uh, just an, you know, an incredible embarrassment to their community and what happened to their people in World War II and other times. And I do think it does, because if I was a liberal MP right now, Andrew, that won my riding by 5% last time, I'd be looking for a new job. The media tried to vilify Paulio for the longest time, and he's got some growing to do too, but I, I like the way he's headed. He's talking about common sense issues that people care about. And I do think that people are saying, he's been around for eight years. I can't really count on what uh, he's going to do going forward. But I do know his past means he's not going to do much proper for Canada going forward. So I'm prepared to look at the alternatives. And I think Paul is doing a good job of that with his uh, with his platform and what he's saying.
2: Yeah, and I, I would actually ext- expand on that a little bit because one of the big challenges we're seeing here in, in this country is that The government very much talks down to Canadians, and it goes back to that pattern I was talking about with scandals whenever the government is immersed in them, is that it's a learning opportunity for everyone else. They kind of believe they occupy this moral high ground.
0: Well, it's astounding. I mean, you saw these rallies in the past week with the Muslim groups being supported by Mennonites and marching to say, we want to protect our children and save our children. And that group was vilified as a far right wing group. Well, I wouldn't think that's the case whatsoever. And it's just everything he does, you're right. If he doesn't agree with you is sort of turned back in their face and vilified. But he is incapable as a leader of listening to what people's points of view are that don't agree with him. And it's very clear that's the case now. And there's nobody in the party that's capable, it seems, of saying, Justin, this needs to stop. It just goes on and on and on. And Canada deserves better.
2: Well, we know for a fact there were, I don't know if you saw this, there were some tweets uh, last night of outside the uh, parliamentary precinct where the Liberals had some emergency uh, cabinet or caucus meeting at like 9.30pm at night. So you don't normally have meetings at 9.30pm at night that are not really announced with any notice unless you are in crisis. And I, I mean, at a certain point... I'm looking at all the Liberal MPs that are in that situation you just described, that uh, maybe they're not true believers, maybe they're softer Liberals, or maybe they're in very tight ridings that are looking at these poll numbers, showing the Conservatives at well over 40%, saying, "Okay, we can't just keep lecturing people in the way we have for the last eight years. We've got to offer something new. And, you know, to be honest, I'm actually amazed it's taken so long for the Liberal caucus to grow a little bit of a spine and start asking some questions of its leadership right now.
0: Yeah, well, we've got 10, 000, tens of thousands of members across the country, and you, and you hear all the time as far as when are we getting back to normal basic values? But what strikes me, Andrew, is an issue is like the, um, when John Kretchen was prime minister, like we're a fiscally conservative organization that believes in free speech and a strong military and responsible spending. Well, Kretchen had guys like Manley and Martin and McKenna that were capable people. So even a conservative person like me would say they're doing a decent job because at the end of the day, as a Canadian, you want the country to succeed whether the guy in power is who you support or not, there's just no sense. There's anybody around them that can do what's right, uh, on issues or values or international relationships. And I don't know where it ends for, for Trudeau, but it's not going to end up. Well, that's for sure. Because elections two years away, I'm shocked that Singh is still propping him up, but, um, as it goes on and on and on gets further, I don't see how Trudeau can get out of this. It's just, it's just who he is.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jagmeet Singh found his spine when he was standing up to give that ovation on Friday, but he hasn't found a spine at any other point in the last two years of Canadian politics. Uh, Peter Coleman is with us from the National Citizens Coalition. Good to talk to you, Peter. Thanks for coming on today.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Take care of yourself.
2: All right. Thank you, sir. Yourself as well. We've had a few questions in the comments. One of them in particular I, I found interesting, and I've seen this asked a lot, in various forms. Roger says deportation from Canada of every Nazi and their family members should be considered as a corrective action of this disgraceful event enabled by the current leading minister's actions. Your thoughts? Uh, It's it's a complicated question and I I don't consider myself an expert in every aspect of, of this. I've certainly become more familiar with it in the last five days as I've looked into this. But I do know that there has been a difference in the way that uh, certainly German soldiers have been treated, who are generally not regarded as Nazis or criminals, versus members of the SS, who do not have the ability to hide behind. I was just a frontline soldier, nothing to do with the Holocaust, nothing to do with war crimes. And the challenge here is that the Ukrainian unit in question, the 1st Galician Division, has been treated a little bit differently. There was a a report in 1986, which was done by the Deschenes Commission, as it was called, that looked into this and found they couldn't just uh, en masse call anyone who was a part of this a war criminal. Now, there were two parts to this report. One of them was public and people can see it now. And it's where the commissioner made the finding that this division was not itself uh, complicit in war crimes that you could say uh, applied to everyone or was not a criminal organization. And the other side of it, part two, actually had a very detailed accounting of every identified Nazi in Canada. This has, to this day, in the last 37 years, never been published. Jewish groups have called for it to be published, but it has not happened. Uh, Christian Freeland was actually asked about this, whether it was time to reopen the report. By Benny a breath to reopen a report by the Duchesne Commission so that Canadians can know how many veterans who fought with the Nazis are here in our country. Um, will the government do so, and what is your response to that?
1: I think, you know, let, let me just start uh, by reiterating, and I don't think it can be said too many times, Uh, how hurtful for so many people in Canada, and around the world. uh, What happened was and has been and continues to be as uh, MPs in our capacity as MPs. uh, It's important for appropriate next steps in the House to be taken. And I think that is our immediate focus. And as a government, we're going to be very thoughtful about any further steps that need to be taken.
2: I'm sorry. I don't recall anything resembling an answer coming out in that. It was you know, reiterating the deep regret and sympathy and embarrassment and all of that, and then saying that we're going to be very careful about those next steps. We had actually tried to get someone from B'nai B'rith on the show today. I think we're going to uh, move on with that tomorrow. We weren't able to make the scheduling worked out because they've been calling for this. And Michael Barrett, from whom I, I played that clip earlier in the show had introduced a motion in committee in April calling for the release of the second part of that report. And that motion never ended up getting voted on so far as I'm able to tell. And I, I'm not sure if that was because it was blocked by the government or there was some other procedural reason why. I, I haven't been able to get a satisfactory answer. I emailed Michael Barrett. He never uh, responded to me. So I don't know. Maybe I'm on the, the naughty list or maybe it's just a busy week in Ottawa. Not, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't worry. But uh, nevertheless, we will follow the story and I suspect we'll have a bit more on this tomorrow. So I would encourage you to stay tuned on that. I wanted to turn to local politics. I mean, all politics that matters is local in some form. But we have seen increasingly in Canada, and we can go back to the Freedom Convoy and many years beyond that, a very strained relationship between governments and freedom of speech, freedom of expression, the right for you not only to have a political opinion, but to express it and even to protest. Protest is one of the most important aspects of freedom of expression because freedom of expression is a vehicle by which we can seek change in society. We can uh, seek change from government and we can seek change from other groups that are doing things we believe are protestable. But some people don't like that. And as we've reported at True North, in the city of Calgary, there is a bylaw that is now facing a legal challenge. It's a bylaw that establishes a so-called buffer zone between protesters and some events. Let's be real, it's not in the bylaw, but this came about as a direct response to protests of drag story times. And it's a bylaw that restricts your ability to protest any event that effectively the government, the municipal government deems to be protected. It's not allowing you to protest with uh, if they believe you are engaging in, quote, hateful messaging. We uh, fast forward to another story out of Waterloo, Ontario, where there's a proposal, not yet a bylaw, but a proposal to ban communication that makes people, quote, feel harassed unquote. That's literally from the text of the report, quote, that makes them feel harassed. There's a, a great story up at True North from my colleague, Cosmin Georgia, that I would encourage you to take a look at. But uh, to go back to the Calgary bylaw, it's being challenged by the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Joanna Barron joins me now, the executive director over there, and also one of the co-authors of a great new book about the COVID era policy, which I will uh, certainly have her and her co-author, Christine Van Gein, on to talk about. But but uh, all that aside, it's good to talk to you, Joanna. Thanks for coming on.
4: Great to be here with you, Andrew.
2: So let's talk about the real I mean, the subtext of this bylaw here, because they're not just going after protest in general. You know, from the context and the wording, they're going after a very particular type of protest and they're really targeting it to a very particular type of viewpoint, I would say.
4: Well, yes, although it's not as narrow as you would think. You're certainly correct that this came out as, in, as a response to protests around Drag Queen Story Hour. However, the text of the bylaw says bans protests on issues relating to gender, national identity, a whole category that could apply to many things. So my colleague Christine pointed out that if you wanted to have a protest about, um, against female genital mutilation since that is understood to be a cultural and religious practice, that would be caught under the bylaw. And so it's actually a sort of wide swath of categories. Um, even, you know, protesting against climate change would be caught by the bylaw. And so it's it's a whole category of things. But as you say, um, the important part to remember is that this is sort of demarcating different types of protests that Calgary city council are saying are permissible and not permissible. Whereas the Supreme Court of Canada has been very clear that the guarantee of freedom of expression is content neutral. The state doesn't get to say what I can demonstrate and protest about.
2: Well, and on that note, I, I would also point out here that political speech is the most protected, basically. It's deemed the most important. It's, you know, free speech isn't just your right to say I prefer milk to cream in my coffee or something like that. And 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 that's where, you know, the the things that need the most protection are the things that are the most prone to being censored or to be uh, reined in.
4: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um And moreover, where there's, as you mentioned, there's buffer zones that are identified in this bylaw, which tend to be, you know, areas of 500 meters close to recreation centers and libraries. And first of all, it's hard if you know downtown Calgary, there isn't many areas where you wouldn't find a library or rec center somewhere within 500 meters. And like, those are the places where civil society tends to gather. So it's a terribly draconian, a bylaw. I would also note that it carries a penalty of up to $10,000 or a term of imprisonment. Um, so, actually, one of the arguments that the Canadian Constitution Foundation that we're making is that this is in substance a criminal law, which city councils is a matter of federal jurisdiction. Um, so, city councils actually outside of their jurisdiction, not to mention acting unconstitutionally on freedom of expression grounds. One of the
2: challenges that comes up here is that when they are, there is a, as broadly as it's put as, as you shared, Joanna, this this bylaw in place, it effectively leaves everything up to discretion, which means it's up to bylaw enforcement to decide on a case by case basis whether they want to. And it's very it's very East Germany in the sense that they have a law that basically lets them go after anyone and everyone. And we're just to expect that, well, they'll pick and choose and, and they'll really only go after the people who deserve. Like, who is it that gets the authority to decide when to apply this?
4: Uh, Yeah, completely. The discretion will be left to the police, and it will be them that decides whether to go ahead and lay charges. And we can assume that certain politically correct demonstrations um, that Calgary City Council perhaps agrees with, because this is a very clear signal, and we do know from the debates at city council that indeed they brought this about in response to concerns of protests about drag queen story hour, but just to be clear, this is not about us taking a position for or against drag queen story hour. I would also add that if you were to protest drag queen story hour and you wanted to run a counter protest in favor of drag queen story hour, guess what? That's also relating to gender and sexuality. So that also would be prohibited by the bylaw. Now, whether you would be charged, we don't know. I'll say, I know you have a big audience, but I'll say that it, within the team of the CCF, we talked about maybe if we go out to Calgary and do our own protest against, for example, female genital mutilation, let's see if we get arrested. Um, but we, we, we elected not to, and we elected to just seek public interest standing to challenge this bylaw as a public <laughs> interest litigant. <laughs>
2: Well, let me ask you about that legal challenge. I, I mean, do you need to wait for someone to be, in your view, unfairly uh, prosecuted or charged under this? Or, or can you uh, affect, it's not a legal term, but can you challenge it on spec? Say, you know, irrespective of how and when this is used, it's bad on its face and needs to go.
4: So we can say as a public interest charity, and we are a legal charity that has a long track record of fighting for the enforcement of constitutional rights in court, that no, that harm has existed, has happened since this became law. And so we're challenging it on the basis of you should be able to look at this law facially, see that it is not content neutral, that it singles out different types of peaceful, constitutionally protected expression, as well as the guarantee for freedom of assembly, and you should be able to determine that that is contrary to the Constitution. Um, so you can you know, seek public interest, standing and in challenge. I wouldn't quite say on spec because there is an important chilling effect, right? That whether or not somebody is actually charged, isn't it disturbing that somebody would have to think, well, I'm not sure if you know this, uh, I wanna protest uh, Israel or Palestine, either, either one, for example. But I'm not sure if the Calgary police are going to arrest me. We would say at the CCF, you've already done the damage. You've already chilled what is legitimate political uh, protected expression.
2: That's actually quite a, an important point. And I mean, I remember when the COVID stuff was going along. I, I mean, I've never been too much of a rabble. I've, I guess I've, I've, I've roused a bit of a rabble in my day. But when there was talk of Ontario potentially doing a curfew, I was like, I'm gonna be out on the streets at 9 p.m. every night. Like I'm in bed at like 9.30. So like I would have been doing it purely to be a disturber of the fecal matter. But some people would have done the opposite. As you've said, say, oh, well, I I don't want a a ticket, especially when in in COVID, as I know you'll be writing about in your upcoming book. Some of the fines were so steep. A lot of people that, you know, just might've been tempted to do something would say, uh, you know, I I, I don't want to risk the penalty. And I I can see that exact thing happening here. Someone who says, well, you know, I'm all for protesting, I don't want to break the law I don't I don't want to deal with that
4: yeah exactly it just like you know people said to us that they didn't want to donate to the CCF after the freedom convoy mm-hmm. because even though they were pretty sure it was okay who wants to risk having their bank accounts frozen and we talk a lot more about that in pandemic panic which is available for pre-order on Amazon now
2: Well, definitely, we'll have you and Christine back on that. Let me just ask you about the process here, as best as you've been able to unearth it, because I know the federal government in particular, they'll run every bit of legislation by the Department of Justice and supposedly charter proof it or offer recommendations on on how to immunize it to some extent against a, a charter challenge. Municipalities aren't as well resourced, but do we think there was any legal input at all on this that we've been able to see where a lawyer gave them the case for why this was justifiable?
4: So we know, for example, in terms of process, this was rammed through in a single session, an extended debate on the merits of the bill, which we know certain counselors did raise concerns about the constitutionality, perhaps ones with a legal background, but this was pushed through in a single session without any extended debate. Um, So we are inclined to think that they did not give this extensive legal consideration and they were quite surprised um, when we, we challenged it right out the gate.
2: Have you had a chance to review, I know it's not made it into a bylaw yet, but what they've proposed in Waterloo, which uh, strikes me as very similar and, and just the epitome of subjective here, things that make you feel harassed. Like I feel harassed sometimes by an ad that I might not like, but I don't believe it should be taken down with any force of law.
4: Yeah so the report the Waterloo report defines being harassed as feeling tormented troubled worried plagued or badgered and we're actually talking about this this morning on our podcast not reserving judgment i mean who doesn't feel badgered on a daily basis i live in downtown toronto yeah. it's kind of part of the game that doesn't Well mean I, I feel badgered
2: that- by charity fundraisers sometimes yeah. that you run into in downtown toronto but they have a right well, to be there
4: <laughs> Well exactly so i would say this bylaw is quite bad But it's actually not as bad. Calgary actually has an identical version on street harassment. Very similar language, but it actually applies everywhere in Calgary, from the sidewalks to the restaurants. So it's actually even worse. And we've focused on the protest bylaw, but we certainly are studying this. And just to be clear, in a recent case, early 2022 case, the Supreme Court of Canada has said that there is no right not to be offended. This is the Mike Ward case where there was the Quebec Mm -hmm. comedian making these edgy jokes. Supreme Court said, you know, you may find this distasteful, but in a free society, you have no right not to be offended. That is not a thing. And so governments should certainly not be in the business of enacting laws that punish people who merely offend others. Uh, And my colleague was talking about this morning how this street harassment bill played out in Calgary is kind of funny there was an argument at a public pool over trans people being able to use change rooms of the sex they identify with. And so some individuals were protesting against this policy and then there were counter protesters protesting the protests and so they all ended up offending each other and harassing each other, and both sides ended up with street harassment fines, which <laughs> begs the question, why should the police have been involved in this at all?
2: Mutually, yeah, very- mutually assured destruction there is exactly. the, the way it, it tends to come out here. I, I'll just make a, a point here and, and get you to weigh in as we close, Joanna, because oftentimes whenever you talk about free speech or freedom of expression, whether you mean it in a legal sense or, or just the moral sense, you'll get uh, the very predictable response, which is, well, that's different than hate speech and free speech is not the same as hate speech. And, uh, you know, obviously there is a a criminal prohibition on on hate speech in Canada. But what people forget is that that still applies without this bylaw. Like if speech is crossing that boundary where it is meeting that very high bar to be criminalized, the law already applies. Police already have the ability to deal with that. So necessarily a bylaw like this is trying to lower that threshold and, and cover more speech.
4: Yeah, well, hate speech is already problematic enough because it's such a subjective definition. Mm -hmm. But it is speech that reaches a certain threshold of encouraging really hate and perhaps violence against certain groups. Um, But that's already a very problematic standard. And so, yes, if you're going to water it down further and say, well, what if you made me feel badgered? What if you made me feel harassed? You're just like bringing in more and more barriers to free expression, which I totally agree with what you said at the outset. This is how free expression is how we work things out in a free society. If we can't work things out through conversation, we have to work things out through fists. And that doesn't seem like a particularly acceptable solution.
2: Now, is it October 31st? Your book comes out, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Nice way to scare yourself on Halloween by reading about the dismal state <laughs> of civil liberties in Canada. It is called Pandemic Panic. It is written by Joanna Barron and Christine Van Gyn, And I believe I am cited in it, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, You were should...
4: mentioned many times.
2: Well, that's rarely good, but I appreciate it very much. And I, I did have a chance to review a, a, an advanced copy and it's a, a wonderful read. So people should definitely check that out. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on.
4: Thanks, Andrew.
2: All right, thank you. That was Joanna Barron from the Canadian Constitution Foundation. We will end things there. My thanks to you all for tuning in. We will be back in 23 hours and 15 minutes here on Canada's most irreverent talk show on True North, The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The
1: Andrew Lawton Show.
2: Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.